Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. The Gist is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code GIST at checkout to get 10% off. And by Monster. Find employees who work as hard as you at monster.com slash hiring. Monster. Find better. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, April 11th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So you may have heard me in tone on the show from time to time. The candidates are not trying to win states. They're trying to win delegates. A subtle point. They may have mentioned it. Oh, sure. Winning states is nice as is winning debates, winning moral victories, winning hearts and minds, winning the silent primary, winning the high ground. These are all good things to win. But what you really want is delegates. Take it away this week with George Stephanopoulos, announcer guy. And who's winning with Bernie picking up states, Hillary picking up delegates. Oh, God. In sports news, the Astros are winning walks, but the Twins are scoring runs. In retail, Macy's is attracting window shoppers, but Bloomingdale's actually attracting customers. In entertainment, Lindsay Lohan is spurring rumors. Jennifer Lawrence is being paid for acting roles. The Golden State Warriors are winning basketball games. Mike Pesca is making several points on Hang Up and Listen about the Golden State Warriors' chances of winning basketball games. Have I made this clear? Do you understand what's the important thing and what's the thing that maybe one day will lead to the important thing, but not the important thing. All right, let me try another one. In international news, Putin trying to shoot down rumors about dating Wendy Deng. Putin actually shooting down civilian airplanes in Ukraine. Good, we got it. Okay, moving on. But I want to be fair to Bernie Sanders. Fair but accurate. He won Wyoming. That was a state he won, and yet he tied in delegates with seven to seven. And I do think it was unfair that he tied in delegates. Here's the result of the caucuses where they count the delegates selected at the county level, and Bernie had 156 of these delegates. Hillary Clinton had 124. So that's 55.7% to 44.29%. Now, why is that a 7 to 7 split? It's closer to an 8 to 6 split. 8 to 6, that's about a 57 to 43 split. They should have split it 8 to 6. But they have rules that say that split doesn't happen until you actually get to the 57% level. He was at 55.71. They don't round up. They don't do the delegates as close to the percent of the vote you got. You have to hit that level to get the one more delegate. So I do think he should have gotten eight delegates and she should have gotten six. Now, I'm talking about delegates here. What about voters? How many people voted in Wyoming? Almost an impossible question to answer. I've emailed and left phone messages for state party executive director Amy Van Cleve. 
I can't get an actual number. She hasn't provided an actual number. There seems maybe to be no actual number. There's a website where people can report how many people voted in their caucuses. That website's around 5,600, but there are two or three counties where no one reported in. Amy Van Cleve said it's about 7,000. She said it wasn't as big as the record 8,600. 7,000 people voted in Wyoming. So Hillary lost to Bernie by about 800 votes. I'll say it again. I think Bernie should have won that eight to six, but he only won by 800 votes. I don't think giving Wyoming 14 pledged delegates for their 7,000 voters is really that fair. Think about this. In Texas, now it's a primary, not a caucus. I get that. But in Texas, 1,434,253 people came out to vote and they awarded 222 delegates. So to win a delegate, you needed the vote of 6,460 people, 6,460 humans had to vote for you. In Wyoming, to earn a delegate, you needed 557 humans to vote for you. Wyomingites, 10 times as important as Texans, apparently. Bernie Sanders could have won 100% of the vote in Wyoming and picked up all 14 delegates. If he had won over the same number of Texans, he would have picked up one delegate. So, yeah, maybe Wyoming's a little unfair to Bernie because he won a state, 7,000 voters in Wyoming. Here are the counties in Texas with more than 7,000 voters. Bell, Brazoria, Brazos, Cameron, Colton, Denton, Fort Bend, Galveston, Hayes, Jefferson, McLennan, Montgomery, Nueces, Smith, Star, Tarrant, Travis, Webb, Williamson, Behar, Dallas, Harris, Hildago. All right, 23 counties. Hillary won 20 of them. All she does is win delegates, I guess. On the show today, I spiel about the Wolverine. But first, come to my corner, my vexillology corner. Hey, you know, I have a website. Hugh? Hugh, Mike? How did Hugh have a website? Yes, I have a website. And the answer is Squarespace. Squarespace allowed me to build a website, even though, you know, I'm not a coder, all right? I'm barely a decoder. I lack the rings, but Squarespace helped me run rings around the competition. Actually, I don't know if that's true, but they helped me set up a website that said, all right, we know you don't know what you're doing, but throw a picture here, throw some text there. This is looking good. And if you go to MikePesca.com, you will see that website. And one of the things that it includes, it doesn't include much, just slowly building it, but it's a contact form. And already I've got many, many messages, almost all of them telling me that I misidentified a Red Sox player in last week's credits. But that's good. That's good. That's the give and take the back and forth of Squarespace with its intuitive, easy to use tools. Also, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Not mine. I'm on www.mikepesca.com. And when you do go to Squarespace and decide to sign up, make sure to use the offer code GIST to get 10% off your first purchase. Well, if your interest in flags has flagged, we're here to reverse that trend, to rate, to hoist it up. Joining me now is Ted Kay. He's a former editor of Raven, a journal of vexillology. He's also a, a, a treasurer, former treasurer of the North American Vexillogical Association. Ted Kay, how are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Last time we were on, and, and of course, the issue roiling the flag world was New Zealand. Bring us up to date on what the Kiwis have done with the question of, should we replace the national flag? And if so, which version of this fern should it be? 
The Kiwis had a popular referendum where the people of New Zealand voted on keeping the current flag or changing it to a new design, and they voted overwhelmingly, 55 or 56 percent pro keeping the old flag. So New Zealand's flag change has been put to rest for a while now. Now, I remember when we spoke in the past about this, you predicted that would happen, and you said it was sort of baked into the order that they had the vote. Yes, the big question was, do we vote on whether to change the flag first and then vote on what the change would be, or do we vote on what the change would be and then vote whether to change the flag? There were strong arguments and strong proponents and opponents uh, on both sides, but more importantly, the prediction of the outcome is that in New Zealand, they did something that we've never seen before. The government asked the people to vote on the flag. This is the first time we've seen a national flag voted on by the people. And as a result, the people voting would vote by their conservatism. People are are naturally conservative, and the people tend to prefer what they're familiar with, and they were familiar with the current flag. So New Zealand, by having a popular referendum, rather than having the government choose, which is what happens in all other countries, baked in an outcome that we indeed predicted and the polls predicted. The people voted to keep their current flag. And it is uh, a shame the flag of New Zealand is not a bad flag. It's uh, got a Union Jack in the corner. It's got four stars. It looks very much like the uh, many of the flags of the former colonies and protectorates of Great Britain, but also very much like its neighbor, Australia, just a different number and color of stars. And some of these newly proposed flags that w will just go down as non-adopted flags were really nice. I really like the silver fern. Well, indeed, if you think about the experience of Canada 50 years ago, where Canada discarded a long-used British red ensign with the Union Jack in the corner and the shield from the coat of arms and the fly, a very standard Commonwealth flag design for the stunning current maple leaf design with the two red bars and the white square in the middle with the big red maple leaf, Canada discarded that British ensign form for a new form using a symbol, the maple leaf, that had long been used to represent Canada, both in sports and military areas. And New Zealand had the chance to do exactly the same. The silver fern has represented New Zealand in the military and sports world for more than a hundred years. And in fact, the white silver fern on black is the de facto sports ensign of New Zealand. And New Zealand could have gone for a flag that looked like that, but there were some copyright issues, some problems of, well, that's a sports flag. That was what some people argued. And some people, I think, mistakenly said black is only a flag for ISIS and pirates. In fact, black's a flag for New Zealand. Their national rugby team is the All Blacks, for example. So New Zealand, I think, missed an opportunity to choose a flag that already represented the country as its new national banner. Yes, and I should note that that turnout for that election in a country with fewer than four and a half million people was 2.1 million people voted in the flag election. They were at least passionate about their flag.
Indeed, and in, in fact, as some people observe, most people will say they don't care about flags, but once you get them talking, you find that everybody cares about flags. Now, another place, not quite as big as New Zealand, but not that much smaller, is Milwaukee, the, metro, uh, the metropolitan statistical area, so not just the city, but in neighboring cities is one and a half million, but the city of Milwaukee will be considering a new flag. Thank goodness, I think I could speak for the flag community when I say that. In fact, Milwaukee's city flag has long been used as the quintessential bad example of flag design. Milwaukee's flag was a, a, adopted 50 plus years ago and uh, is a kitchen sink flag. The alderman that, that designed it took the items from all the designs that were proposed and put them all onto one flag. And so it's this tremendous melange of symbols that's very difficult to make out. And in fact, because it's so hard to understand, they've written the word Milwaukee across the bottom of it so that you'll know that it's their flag. In fact, when the North American Vexillological Association did an internet survey asking people to rate the design qualities of city flags in 2004, we polled people on 150 city flags. Milwaukee's flag scored 147th out of 150 flags. And on a scale of 0 to 10, its rating was 1.6. It's just a horrible design of a flag. You wrote a book called Good Flag, Bad Flag. Was this the bad flag on the cover? <laughs> it could well be a poster child for a bad flag. And in response, a, a young designer in Milwaukee, Steve Kotis, has been campaigning for a new Milwaukee flag and has a great process going on right now. There's a, a contest going that closes on 414, on April 14th. 414, of course, is the area code for Milwaukee. That's a nice play there. They expect 800 entries to that competition. And by the middle of May, five judges will narrow down those entries to a top 50 and a final five finalists, and those will be shared at City Hall. And they expect to have the people to vote on those five finalists and have a final flag chosen by June 14th, which is Flag Day. They hope that the Common Council of uh, Milwaukee will adopt this flag as a new flag for the city of Milwaukee. Another U.S. city that is undergoing a flag design is Portland, Portland, Maine. And what I find fascinating about this is a couple things, but it was spearheaded. I mean, I saw that the committee who's picking the flag are you, a local flag expert and uh, elected official, and a high school kid. Indeed. Portland, Maine currently has uh, the kind of flag that we call an SOB, a uh, seal on a bed sheet. Yeah. <laughs> and in the NAVA survey... That flag came in 131st with a score of 2.7. Just a horrible, horrible score. So it's looking down on Milwaukee, but not many others. Right. And I'm here in Portland, Oregon, saying, Portland, Maine, you can join us in the great flag club here. There are a couple efforts that joined together. The Bangor Daily News started uh, an effort to change the flag. Its producer, Dan McLeod, has organized a campaign. And in parallel, a Casco Bay High School student, Ben Corsi, has adopted the flag redesign as his senior project. Those two combine forces, and they've created a contest 
that has brought in 85 entries. Now, the Portland flag, the existing Portland flag, is more than just a seal on a bedsheet or possibly less. It's a flag that basically says, hello, I'm a flag, because it has the seal. All right, I, I have to start from the middle out. It has the seal, and the seal includes um, perhaps a seagull or some sort of a bird, uh, perhaps a seabird, holding another crest. So the crest depicts a seabird holding a crest. And then in words written around this crest, it says city of Portland, Maine, and then the Latin word resurgum. There's a lot going on, but I wonder if do you think it's a good idea to take any elements of this, like the bird, like the two fish flanking the crest, and try to get them on the new flag? Indeed, uh, some of the suggested new flags have those two fish, or I guess those are fish, on it and some have the bird on it. Many of them have an image of a lighthouse or have anchors on them. All of those reflect the maritime theme of Portland being a a major port, and that major port is reflected also in the seal that's on the flag right now with a ship in the middle of it and a depiction of the ocean. So the idea of nautical or maritime themes is very common on what's being proposed and reflects what's on the flag now. Of course, good flag design says don't write on a flag. Letters are a textual, a verbal symbol. What you need is graphic symbols. If you have to write the name of your city on your flag, that means your symbols have failed. Mm. The words and the seals belong on pieces of paper that you see close up. Things that go on flags should be identifiable at a distance, so they should be simple. So seals don't belong on flags and lettering don't belong, doesn't belong on flags. But you're right, the items from the seal may well end up on the new flag of Portland, Maine. Right, and resurgum is Latin for I shall rise again. But I think more to the point, it's also an anagram of rum rages. So take that idea and go with it. Just a dr- guy drunk on rum yelling at a seagull or a, or a fish. I give you that for free, city of Portland. I hope they uh, take that into advisement. <laughs> He's always so open to all my good ideas about flags. Ted Kay, former treasurer of the North American Vexillological Association and editor of the Journal of Vexillology, Raven. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. As a small business owner, well, you get some good things, like every politician goes on and on about the small business owners, but that's great. That's just talk. That's cheap talk. You're working endless hours. You're pursuing your goals. Sure, once in a while, Cruz, Sanders, they'll do a shout out, but you you don't even know that. You can't watch the nightly news. The sunrise, that's your alarm clock. Your lunch hour is eight minutes long. You don't need palaver. You need employees. You need employees that work hard too. Monster has 20 years of experience finding the right people for the right jobs. If only our democracy could say the same. Monster builds custom hiring solutions specific to your small business. Visit monster.com hiring to find employees who work as hard as you do and save 25% off for a limited time. Monster, find better. And now the spiel, give me back my fingertips. There's a subject I have been accused of ignoring. Maybe I have, right? Maybe I could say we can't cover everything. Maybe I have a blind spot. Maybe it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. So I think it's time that we talk about 
Wolverines. Wolverines! Okay, here's where I think the Wolverines have a problem. Well, actually, it's not my thinking that. It's that their habitat's melting and they're dying out. There are 300 Wolverines in the Rockies and the Cascades, and they need snow to nest. Their little, their little cubs need the snow. Their kits, I think they're called. So, no snow, no nest, and global warming means no snow. A judge saw the logic of this, and she found fault with the National Fish and Wildlife Service, as Montana Public Radio reports. A federal judge in Missoula has sided with environmental groups that sued to add wolverines to the endangered species list. Judge Dana Christensen said today that the Obama administration brushed over the threat of climate change when it denied protections for the snow-denning predator. He ordered wildlife officials to act as quickly as possible to protect the species. The judge blamed immense political pressure that was brought to bear. I know we're talking about wolverines, but it was brought to bear because of petroleum interests in the states of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. Dan Ash, director of the Fish and Wildlife Service, countered, we were presented with inconclusive scientific information and decided against the listing, as in listing them as threatened or endangered. The wolverine is not at risk of extinction, which is different from saying the wolverine is not going to be affected by a change in climate. Okay, fair enough. So what's going on here? Well, it turns out that the wolverine is, to quote the New York Times, a rare and reclusive animal, which is not the reputation that the wolverine has. The problem for the wolverine is the inverse of the usual problem with uncharismatic fauna. The wolverine has charisma, but it's not the actual charisma of the animal. It has had a charisma thrust upon it. Therefore, when we think of wolverines, we think of the wrong thing. All right, let's take this in pieces. When I say when we think of wolverines, plural, here's what we think of. The wolverines win an NCAA title over Seton Hall, a tough opponent all the way. Tougher than global warming? Well, Seton Hall is in the Diocese of Newark, so it's pretty tough. But the point is that Michigan Wolverines, the nickname of the university, it gives the appearance that the animal is fierce, resistant, freaking ubiquitous, especially in bars in Murray Hill and Wicker Park on Saturdays. Oh, those people. But Wolverines aren't nearly as robust as all that. Wolverines, though they have sharp teeth, would rather run away from you which contradicts what they were saying on the podcast Call Your Girlfriend recently. Like, yeah, like what man would not be irritable if it felt like there was a baby wolverine in his abdomen? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to claw out. Exactly. All right, now those are wolverines. Now when we talk about wolverine, we talk about this guy. I want new ones. What do you want them to say? Wolverine. Okay. I don't actually think of Wolverine as that guy, that particular guy. Hugh Jackman is that guy. is playing the X-Men character Wolverine. And you know Hugh Jackman really wants to play Curly in Oklahoma on the big screen. But it's those stupid comic book movies that get all the money. Anyway, between that Wolverine and the Wolverines and the Michigan Wolverines and all the high school teams named Wolverines. Wolverines! Like, that's where the Freedom Fighters and Red Dawn got their nickname. We think that wolverines are fierce animals, but I've been doing some research on wolverines. Wolverines! Yeah, wolverines. Okay, mostly I've been watching that clip a dozen times. The wolverine is not who we think it is. There's this nature documentary I saw. The wolverine has been branded with a hell of a reputation. But who really is this demon of the north? Wait your turn now. They're <laughs> not polite. One man has come to know them as family. I'm Lord of Wolverines. Come on, let's go. 
And that man, stumpy Steve Mulligan, the one-eyed Wolverine friend, will melt your heart as he gestures with his sole remaining finger and tries to articulate words with what's left of his mouth. No, no, actually, that guy's desa-digital. He seems in fine shape for having befriended the little furry Wolverines. Although every species has a friend who says, oh, they're misunderstood, right? I've talked to the wolf guy. That guy's the wolverine guy. There are the bat guys. There are the real housewives guys. It doesn't convince me. This does. The documentary calls the wolverines nature's phantom. And it's that trait, how hard they are to study, that convinces me that the judge was being judicious. Fish and wildlife folks are saying they don't have good studies on wolverines. The judge is saying it's because they're hard to study. It stands to reason with so few of them and the ice receding at such a rate that we've got to act now. This was the original recommendation by biologists and then Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana rebutted the initial findings about wolverine endangerment. We're talking common sense. It's certain that there's global warming and global warming has logical consequences. We're talking wolverines. Wolverines! If wolverines were indigenous to Michigan, you can bet that state would protect them and then fire them after a six and four season, even with a win against Michigan State, but I digress. Wolverines need an image makeover, a fierceness make under, and a different song and dance man to embody them on the big screen. Neil Patrick Harris. Who doesn't like Neil Patrick Harris? Play down the claws, the cigars, the violence, play up the fact that Wolverines are the biggest member of the weasel family, that they need snow for their young to survive, and they haven't eaten even one of Stumpy Steve Mulligan's fingers or toes. It might not sell comic books, but I know an audience of 300 who will like it. Wolverines! Yeah, yeah, the Wolverines. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi cleaned up in Bayhar County yet has little to show for it. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, Split Delegates in Hidalgo, is crying in his beer. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, netted a narrow win in Brazos, yet he's on the outside looking in. The gist from Bell to Brazoria, from Webb to Williamson, your presumptive frontrunner. Umpuru de Peru du Peru, and thanks for listening.